In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good evening, Cleveland. We're going to try and keep this short and sharp. I'm here with Ian Wright, right, right, and this is the post-Seahawks game. Ian, it went nearly down to the wire, but we lost. How are you feeling? You know, I, I said to you earlier, it was one of those things where I'm really glad we took a couple hours from the, uh, the final whistle to record the podcast, because when they took the final knee, my emotions were at a different level. You know, I went back, watched a few of the cut-ups that I needed to watch, um, kind of dove a little bit more into the numbers, watched a little bit more football, the, the, you know, the late slated games. Um, and I've, I've calmed down a little bit. So it was just – it was one of those typical Browns games that really takes you on an emotional roller coaster. I mean, we get out to such a hot start. You're really high, then you're really low, then you're really high, and then you just – ah, that kick in the gut right there at the end kind of just solidifies the feeling you, most Browns fans – you know, have had for years. Yeah, well, as you remember, I said midweek being a Browns fan is like a roller coaster. It was my song of the song of the week, and even Freddie Kitchens quoted it after me. So, uh, yeah, I think definitely being a Browns fan is like living on a roller coaster. We started so well, and t- when we were, I think twelve and six was that, is that correct, Ian? I think we were at one point. We're up twenty to six at one point. Sorry. 20 and 6, that was it. And like, you think to yourself, we're going to do this. We're going to win this. But back of the mind, you're thinking, some of Browns is going to happen. And yeah, it did. When we got up 20 to 6, you know, I really didn't think it was over. You know, when you have an MVP candidate like Russell Wilson out there, they're never out of it. So it's one of those things where it was good that they got up 21 or 26, Cyber missed the extra point. But it really kind of played into what we were talking about in the pregame, get an early lead and then really pound Nick Chubb. And I thought they started to do that. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of the first half, it unraveled a little bit because we just kept shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, we were just untimely penalties. I mean, we said last week, untimely penalties, drops and turnovers. And it is the three things that seem to be the central theme of this team right now. You know, you were, uh, I believe you're, you're not even in England right now. You're in a different country watching it. So, you know, what were your feelings kind of just watching it the way you did? Obviously, hope was going through my brain, a lot of it. Obviously, Baker Mayfield getting hit and injured or not playing at 100%. I was a bit worried. But yeah, all the way through, I was thinking... We can, we're still in this, we're still in this. And then obviously the last interception, that's when I text you saying, is this actually it? And you're like, no, we've still got a little bit of a chance. It's frustrating because we've obviously got the talent. We've also very capable. We don't just see out games. And I think I said it last time, in, in change it to soccer, like just win 1-0, do it ugly, do whatever we have to do. And we just don't seem to do that, which is very frustrating. 
and other teams are doing it against us. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of ironic because if you remember right, last week we're talking about the Niners and we were talking about how there's just a team of not a lot of big names, but just a lot of solid players. I mean, this week they go out, you know, here we are six days from playing them on Monday night. You know, Baker Mayfield was the worst quarterback of all time. And I don't know if you watched that game at all, but the Rams could not do anything against the 49ers. I mean, I don't think Jared Goff threw for 80 yards. I think he was like 13 of 25 for 70 odd yards, you know, and was sacked four times. So we kind of have to sometimes stack up how we perform versus, you know, other teams. I mean, we went out uh, on Monday night a couple weeks ago and beat Sam Darnold, the Jets, and then the Jets turn around and beat the Cowboys today. So, you know, sometimes I think that we as Browns fans lose perspective that, you know, the other teams are paid as well. And what happens is when you go out and play somebody, you know, you, you have to make sure it's a little bit about timing, but it's a lot about matchup. And a team like Seattle is not going to like roll over and play dead when you jump up 20 to six. Now, this happens against Miami or Cincinnati. We don't have anything to worry about. We're blowing that team out of the, do- out of the waters like we did last year. So it's really a matter of just this first half of the schedule we knew was going to be tough, and we're playing good teams led by veteran quarterbacks. And it's just one of those things where today we ran into Russell Wilson, who's playing as good as anybody in the league. I mean, I watched dozen, a dozen games today, and I don't think I've seen a quarterback playing as good as him, and that includes Patrick Mahomes who struggled against Houston today. Two and four. We can still, what, 12 and... 12 and four, if you want. Win it out. Very, pos- very positive. But, yeah, so um, it, it, it's, it, it's tough being a Browns fan. And uh, you can see Twitter's gone nuts. Right. Is it Baker? Is it Kitchens? You know, the refs report. But let's, let's try and get a bit of structure to this podcast. Let's start with the offense. Uh, how are we going to rate it out of 10? You know, offensively, it, it's, it's, it's almost a tale of two cities. And, you know, I was, I was texting some of my buddies during the game. Baker came out like a bat out of hell. I mean, hell of a job by Hilliard getting us 70-odd yards on the opening kickoff. And then look how easy it looked. Bang, 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 touchdown. Like, it, it was nothing. We ran the ball. We passed the ball. People were wide open. They're moving, shaking right down the field. Then all of a sudden, we get the ball back. And don't, feet don't fail me now. Here we go right down the field again. So the offense showed you what it's capable of doing. And, you know, here was a game we were able to involve a guy like Odell Beckham, get him his 100 yards. But in the same sense, if you look at a guy like Ricky Seals-Jones on that third touchdown, Beckham runs the clear out, pulls the corner out, and Ricky Seals-Jones wide open. So you showed the capabilities of the offense. I will say I think Jones is doing a heck of a job filling in for Najoku, who's, you know – presence is missed especially in the red zone but the one thing the Browns offense has to figure out is their inefficiencies in the red zone because right now it's just it's becoming a dumpster fire every time we get down there and it's bringing me back to the Deshaun Kaiser days so I'll go with a a C plus just because I thought that they had times where they flashed but at the end of the day they just are bazooking their legs off you know anytime that you know you know they're a little bit behind the sticks or they get into the red zone it's just defecation down the leg syndrome. Of 10 in I'll go with a because sevens are not allowed and no half numbers so I'm going to go with a the highest six one can give okay four turnovers it's yeah. got to be lower than a six I'm afraid so well 
the way I look at the turnovers and, you know, one of the things people talk about a lot is Nick Chubb's ability to hold on to the ball. And sometimes you just got to tip your hat. I mean, uh, Ziggy Ansah comes over the top with a Tyson Lake haymaker, gets the ball out of there. Sometimes you just tip your hat to good play and say, hey, you know, nice job out of you. Um, Baker's first interception, uh, Odell runs into the defender. It was just kind of a weird play. Um, I've seen that happen a few times in the NFL because teams are trying to run these rub routes. Um, the second interception, I want to go back and look at that a little bit more. I thought the ball placement by Baker was pretty good. Landry got his hands on it. I think there was a lot of early contact on that one. It was under two minutes, so uh, Freddie couldn't challenge any PI on that one. Not that that seems to be doing anything, but there was a lot of contact on that one. And then the third one, Dontrell Hilliard, listen, I know the throw wasn't exactly where you wanted, but two hands on the ball, you make the squeeze, and as you turn, you just kind of lob it into the air to K.J. Wright. So even though the turnovers were there, I still am going to give them a, a six, the highest six I can give just because I thought they moved the ball well. I thought they found some rhythms. I really liked some of the play designs that Freddie had, but ultimately the, the shotgunning. I mean, you put up 28 points against a good team. So – at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You do have to eliminate the mistakes, but that was an, that was an overall above-average performance given the, the four turnovers. It's tough, Ian, because sometimes we actually do show that we are capable of beating playoff teams. We look so great at times, moving the ball up. But yeah, there's this massive freeze when we get to the red zone. And it's just very, very frustrating, especially being a fan, thinking... We're one yard off. You're just going to yeah. run it in, and then boom. For some brownsy reason, we just don't do it. Well, let me ask you this. Do you not believe that we have found a top-tier NFL running back? Yeah, 100%. Uh, and I think we've got a great running back team, to be fair. Yeah, so I look at it this way when it comes to the offense, is you have a top-tier a top running back. I mean, the way Nick Chubb's running the ball right now, I'll take him over Zeke. Um, I'm, I'm off the top of my head. I can't even think of a running back that's kind of do, I mean, Chris Carson actually had a really good performance today, but I mean, overall, he's not quite the back Nick Chubb is, especially from a three down back standpoint. So you have him, you know, Landry, you know, Beckham, you know, that those guys are talented. The, the mystery, the unsolved mystery that is the Browns third and fourth wide receivers right now with Callaway and Higgins. Hopefully we can get this sorted out over the bye week Um, but right now, I just think that Baker's struggling at times to find rhythm, especially when we're behind the chains. So the, the Browns have an above-average offense. There's no doubt about it. And I think that over time, you're just going to find that they're going to get a little bit more in sync because this team right now is running so much off of momentum at times. It's, they really have to do a better job at overcoming when they kind of get punched back. You know, they came out swinging. The minute they got popped back, they dropped back. So that's why I really think they got to work on. And, you know, Freddie, I think, is the type of coach that understands when you get up, go for the jugular and take them out. How do you think the O-line did? Overall, I mean, I didn't think they did too bad. I mean, Jadavian Clowney is obviously a top-tier pass rusher. And other than him going full Zinedine Zidane headbutt on Baker's chest, I don't think he did all that much today. You know, Quentin Jefferson made a couple nice scrapes. I know they got blown up on the fourth and goal down at the goal line, um, which I'm still not even sure why that play existed as everybody in the stadium saw Jarvis Landry. Luckily, we can't get fined by the NFL's officials, unlike the players in Freddie Kitchens who would just simply say, look at the scoreboard. I think everybody in the world saw that ball break the plane. 
Um, so overall, I thought the offensive line did well. And here's, and that's kind of one of the reasons I was talking about a six. If I were to say, how would you grade Baker? How would you grade Chubb? How would you grade the receivers? You're going to notice, like, you're going to give good marks to certain people, and then the average ends up being right around a seven. But no sevens. Who do you think our worst person was in on the offense? It, it's sad to say, I think the, the Baker lows were pretty bad. That was the problem is I think he missed some, some throws. But overall, I mean, I think Hubbard had a couple negative plays. I'm sure PFF will find those out for us. But overall, I mean, that – honestly, Paul, that's one of the reasons that I think the two hours, three hours after the game really helped me. Because when you sit back and look at it and you go, the Browns should have won this game. The Browns want to win these type of games. They just haven't figured out a way to do it. And you have the right guys in the locker room to start making that turn. And I think the bye week couldn't come at a greater time, you know, after getting schlacked by San Fran and now just really having a gut-wrenching loss against Seattle. I think the focus on the team is going to be, you know, as high as it's been all season. Freddie even mentioned this week the great practices we had. So I really think we're going to build some momentum. And I want to see how this coaching staff is able to make the adjustments and really game plan for a team because we got New England on the horizon in two weeks. And we know that Belichick and them can put together game plans in a week better than some teams can in two. So I'm really curious to see what the offense and the defense come up with because New England's offense isn't exactly, you know, a juggernaut right now. And they're being carried by their defense. So it'll be, you know, our defense, which is struggling versus their offense that's struggling versus our defense that's, you know, vice versa. You get what I'm saying? So right now, I would say we got to clean up a few things. But the overall, the biggest issue isn't per se a person. It's just more the, the synchronization. There's just, there's not, at times we get off script and these penalties are just killing us right now. They're the most untimely penalties you could have. You're not going to be successful second and 20, second and 24, third and 14 miles. I mean, they just, they just got to really do a better job at not just going full leg defecation syndrome. All right, let's go uh, defense. Defensively, I mean, Miles Garrett, two more sacks. I mean, defensively, I thought they did a hell of a job in the first half. I mean, right after the block punt, you're thinking, oh, crap, here goes, you know, the momentum is going to shift, and they hold them to a field goal, you know. I thought they did a good job getting holds when they needed to. And even after the Browns got stuffed down there at the goal line on fourth down, they didn't get an inch and they caused Dixon to, you know, shank the putt out of bounds, which ultimately gives us the lead. But I mean, realistically, Seattle got 17 of their 32 points off of turnovers. I mean, after the block punt, they got the field goal after the second interception by Baker, they ended up turning that into a touchdown. And then they turned the Chubb fumble into a touchdown. So we gifted them 17 points. So the defense, the problem is they needed to get a stop towards the end of the game and they couldn't do it. You know, they just, Russell Wilson just made plays that they weren't able to contain. And it was mostly with his feet because it seemed like we were getting good pressure on their Swiss cheese line, but a guy like Russ can just dip dive. And Miles Garrett said it after the game, you're talking about one of the best, you know, best passers in the NFL outside of the pocket. I mean, what overall, what'd you think of the defense? Miles Garrett, obviously, had a good game. He could have got an extra sack, but he was just so, super, super keen. Defensive line was good, but it wasn't as explosive as we've seen maybe in preseason, the start of the season. Secondary, I felt that yeah, Matt Wilson had a good game. Show, but was as always seems to be everywhere, but 
it seemed more quiet, didn't have a nut as much as it has done me before. And then safety, Randall has got to make the tackles. He's got to bring people down. I think that was the, the general thing about defence really was missing tackles, which is frustrating. Like Burnett just gave up on one, you know, he needs to wrap his arms around him, bring him down, speak to the Scottish Hammer about rugby tackles or something, just... You know, you got to bring that person down. Whatever happens, get him down, you know? Yeah, I think – actually, I think that's a great point. I think you hit the nail on the head on that one because it might take away from the defense was the biggest – biggest minus was the missed tackles. So there's this thing they call chicken wing tackles where you're too afraid to stick your arm out so you keep it in and you just try to kind of chicken wing them and just push them over. And on the one play you're talking about, Carson comes up to the hole – Burnett stops his feet and he's a veteran and he's got to know better than that. And I mean, it wasn't even a contest. He went right around him with a, a little dance step, but yeah, there was a lot of missed tackles, a lot of missed opportunities to really kind of get stops when we needed. And then ultimately Wilson's ability to make plays on, on with his feet just ended up killing us. And I, I think I texted you right after that first drive, right after Russell Wilson had that wide open, the seas parted touchdown. I think they really said, we got to do something to make sure that we do not let him run all over. So I think they implemented a spy. But I don't know if you remember this guy. A number of years ago, the Browns had a linebacker. And Joe Schobert so reminds me of this guy. He's Dequell Jackson 2.0. Dequell Jackson was a second-round pick out of Maryland a years ago. And the guy made so many tackles, three, four, five yards down the field. And I just feel like that's what we're getting out of Schobert. I mean, our linebackers aren't making the impact plays. They're not blowing up the running plays. You know, I think Kirksey was really that guy that was kind of doing it for us. And then when he went out, we've, we really haven't had a guy step up. I mean, Mac Wilson is athletic. He's able to run sideline to sideline and cover guys. And, you know, it, it's just we're not making the plays in the backfield to get the stops. Most of those plays are coming from our D-line. So, you know, right now I think we really need to work on an uh, – we need an uptick in linebacker play. And I'll be curious to see how the secondary looks once we get Greedy and Denzel back in a couple weeks. I think when you watch Randall, it's quite easy in highlights to see that he makes some big plays. When you watch the game, he does miss quite a lot of tackles and doesn't always look the strongest at times. And I wonder if if there was a choice of renewing contracts, Schober or Randall, then we would go with Schober over Randall, for example. Different positions, but... You know, we are going to be put under pressure with the cap space. We can't extend everyone. And uh, I know it's not a cap show, but it's just something I've been thinking about. No, and I mean, it's something you definitely got to think about. I mean, Demarius Randall wants good money. And right now, he's not getting that huge, that huge contract that some of the other safeties are getting. So, you know, the, the worry I have is we're going to be playing teams in the second half of the schedule that we should on paper have no problem beating. And if the Browns defense has an uptick in play and we start getting interceptions and stuff, are we doing it against decent talent? I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to sit back and even at, if say we beat the Bengals 42 to six or seven or whatever it is, we're always going to go back and be like, yeah, but we haven't beat a good team. You know, that's kind of the big old adage with people is, is you know, so my worry is you have a guy like Randall or Schobert that starts making a couple of these flash plays against kind of some lesser talent. And then they want contracts based off of that. Because I'd love to have both of them back. But at this point, you know, I, I'm not paying Joe Schober top, top NFL linebacker money. And to be fair, Demarius Randall's a good free safety. I'm not saying that we have a better one on the roster. 
but you know, he's not a top tier guy. I mean, we saw him take a bad angle in San Francisco and we saw a couple even today where he was real close to letting them break through. So I agree with you on that one. I think that, you know, Dorsey's got some decisions to make there. Uh, what number are we going to go with? I got to go with a, um, I'm going to go with a five on defense. So Ian, number, you're telling me you think the offense was better than the defense today? Yeah, the offense was definitely, in my opinion, more promising than defense. Oof. I had I had more faith in the defense being able to do something against the receiving core of Tyler Lockett, David Moore, and DK Metcalf, and they still hung 32 points, and we were only able to force one turnover. So I, I expected more from the defense. I really did. I thought they were going to be able to make a play today. And it just seemed like they had a couple bend but don't break, a couple decent plays here and there. But nothing really wowed me. I wasn't like, wow, we dominated at this facet of the game. It's a good point there because we all thought at the start of the season that we are going to just dominate defense. And maybe over the last two or three games, we, we haven't really. Well, yeah. And go back one week, San Francisco. Their, their secondary and their linebackers are a bunch of guys, cast-offs and misfit toys that nobody wanted, but they've got five guys up front that are impacting games. They are winning games ugly because of their defensive line. Miles Garrett is doing a job, and I'm not saying that Joby and Richardson and Ukale and all these guys in the middle aren't doing something. They're just not doing enough. We're not getting the push. We're not containing. You know, I think they were terrified today to rush too much because they were worried that Wilson was going to run around and scramble. You know, so it was one of those things where I just, I didn't see any impact plays. Like they did the things they were supposed to do, but they didn't impact the game. They didn't get a take. I mean, they got the one fumble, which was nice. You know, not great job by Olivier Vernon to punch that out of there. But it was just, there wasn't enough of those. It wasn't a lot of big TFLs or pass breakups. It just, Ugh, it was a eh, five, five, right in the middle. Good, not great, average. You know, it's, it's kind of like meeting, you know, an attractive lady in her late 40s, early 50s at a party and just wondering what could happen. It's a five. Yeah, that's a four, mate. Um, all right, okay. Special teams? You know, <laughs> the jinx of all jinxes right after Cybert bangs that second extra point through, I go, man, is he looking smooth. I texted it to you. And then, wonk. <laughs> but you know what? Um, one of my buddies who sits in the dog pound was texting me that it was pretty brutal crosswind down there. So I will give him this one because I saw what Jason Myers' kick did uh, the first time they scored. So I'm guessing that end of the field was a little bit windy and gusty at times. Um, we didn't see anything else from Cybert. Two extra points. Um, one missed. And Hammer had the one that he absolutely just annihilated. I think it was like 61 yards. So a hell of a boot out of him. And hashtag punters are people too. Uh, the block was not on the Scottish Hammer. He had a little bit of a hesitation step when he caught the ball. But when a guy runs unblocked from 11 yards out, I don't care if you take one step, two steps, or three steps, you're getting that thing pushed back into you real quick. So Prefer's got to clean that up because I was really worried that that was going to shift the momentum. And, you know, one of the highlights, the Browns held him to a field goal there. But I'm not putting that one on the hammer. So hammer, good. Cybert, okay. But we got to do a little bit better. He's got, he doesn't have the Phil Dawson tricks down yet, but he'll get there. I like, I like what I'm seeing out of him. I'm just going to count that one as a fluke. Hopefully some of our fans can, uh, or maybe yourself could answer this, but why does the first energy stadium have gaps? Why did they not just build it so it's 
more seats, perfectly round, and yeah, what, what? Yeah, like the old municipal stadium. Um, it's weird. A lot of these stadiums have now gone to that, where they have open air at the one end. Um, Why? You know, being the engineer that I am, you'd think I'd have a good answer to this. But the Browns did a decent job adding seats in a little bit of those when they did that phase one renovation. But, I mean, the Steelers have it. I mean, there's several stadiums across the league that have it. And as a former kicker myself, I mean, it is, it is brutal when you hit one at the left bar and it ends up five, six yards you know, wide of the right bar. I mean, in essence, it's like a golfer. You're trying to hit one down the fairway and you don't know how far you have to aim. And, oh, this one has different rotation on the ball. I mean, it's not easy sometimes. I mean, watch golfers in the British Open try to hit fairways and then just realize what it's like kicking in, you know, like a um, – Brown Stadium or even, you know, at Heinz Field where the Steelers are at. So. But the gaps are a waste of space. So, like, anyone with a commercial brain would realize that that space, we could put extra seats. Well, the question is, is we had that back in the day when Municipal Stadium had 70-odd thousand seats. And when your team sucks, it's really, really hard to fill those. Um, I don't think that First Energy Stadium was built like a with by a, you know, well thought out process. I mean, I watched the, uh, the Tampa Bay Carolina today and that Tottenham stadium, nice round, compact, very loud, seemed filled to the brim. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's kind of the route they go where we try to make these smaller boutique stadiums, but then can completely wrap them around. But yeah. Okay. It's definitely a great question. If we ever get some building engineers on here, I'd love to ask them. We're not, we're not a building engineer podcast. We're a Browns podcast. So we'll, we'll move on swiftly. Um, closing down, it, it seemed like on the special teams, everything looked, uh, I haven't really watched too much of the special teams, but it all looked and felt quite good. You know, I thought they did a really good job, the opening kickoff, obviously. Um, honestly, if the, bl- the, uh, the block punt doesn't happen, I don't, I don't think you could get a higher mark for the special teams. I mean, I thought, you know, obviously we did have the one missed extra point, so that takes away from it. But I thought we had decent returns. I thought Dontrell Hilliard made some good decisions whether to come out or not come out. I thought our coverage units played really well. I mean, we didn't lose the game in special teams by any sense of the word, you know, other than the block punt, which was just a well-designed, um, well-designed uh, rush by Seattle. So, Yeah, okay. Eight then. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I think eight. And if Cybert makes that kick, we're looking at a nine. And if they don't give up the block punt, I mean, we may be as close to a perfect game out of them. Mm. Okay, let's talk Freddy Kitchens now. It's uh, Some of our listeners have been sending us tweets. Please talk about these questions. Has Freddy lost the team, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think about Freddy Kitchens? I, I, I'm going to start, actually, because there's one thing. We went on four and seven, did we? Fourth and seven, you're talking about right in the first quarter when Baker hit Landry? Yeah, it paid off, but yeah. fuck me, that's a big gamble. <laughs> yes, it is. But do you, do you understand why? Because of the uh, p- positional where we were on the field. No, that was that open end of the stadium where we missed the extra point. And I think we were somewhere around the 34, 35-yard line. So you're looking at a 50-yard-plus field goal with that type of wind. And if you're punting – realistically, if you can't keep that inside the 10 and that goes in the end zone, you're looking at a 14-yard net gain. So that's one of those ones where you kind of just gamble and risk. 
And the play before, they actually had the first down. They just didn't execute it right. So I didn't have as much of a problem going for it there, especially given where we were in the game. Um, you know, that we had scored, they had scored. We were coming right back down and moving the ball. So I didn't think that was as big of a gamble. Um, I think Freddie had some questionable ones, um, no doubt about it. And we can talk about a few of them, but that definitely wasn't one of them. I actually was very much in favor of going for that, just based on the rhythm we were at in the offense right then. Okay, great. Which ones were you uh, dubious about? So I get the analytical discussion that Freddie had after the game about, I have three timeouts, I have the ball at two minutes, and I wanted to score, kick off, use my three timeouts to get the ball back, and then kick another field goal. I get how that works. However, I don't under – I mean, we weren't getting the ball in the second half, so I think that was maybe why he was trying to stretch an extra possession. I just think that's an overthink right there. I'm not, I'm not saying the guy should be taken out back and tarred, feather, and castracized, but um, just focus – I mean, New England, you look at these good teams – they milk that clock until there's 12 seconds left. And then they run a nice play and somehow some guy's wide open and he Dion high steps into the end zone with six seconds and the other team has no chance whatsoever to get the ball back. You know, we had the ball, we had three timeouts. We were in the red zone inside of two minutes. Just take your time I mean, on Baker's interception. I think he snapped the ball with like 20 seconds left on the play clock. Like, why? What's the rush? Like, even if you score on that play, Seattle has a minute and a half, and you just think you're going to go out there and stop them and instantly get a punt and then use three timeouts to get a field goal. You're going into the same end zone that you couldn't kick a field goal at 50 yards from before. So it just it didn't make any sense. I'd be contradicting myself to say that made sense. You know, I think a lot of times these younger coaches get a little bit aggressive. And we look at coaches like Andy Reid, Sean Payton, and Bill Belichick, they don't take those really big gambles. And I think ultimately fans, when it pays off, like a guy like Sean McVay gets something like that to work, people are like, oh, he's the youngest, latest, greatest sensation ever. But then when it doesn't work, you're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, I, my, my thoughts were, I thought we could run a lot more. It felt like we kept on wanting to pass or – I just feel like we could could a lot more, especially when we're leading, just run run it down. I know it's – but anyway, yeah, what's your views on that? It wasn't necessarily even the run-pass ratio. And I think that's where – listen, I, I love my fellow Browns fans, but some of you guys are absolutely nuts. I mean, people were wanting to bench Baker. I mean, give my good friend Dustin Fox credit, I mean, for taking some of the calls. I mean, some of those post-game calls are just – mind-boggling crazy I mean people want to bench Baker and fire Freddie and all this other stuff it's like when you're looking at a coach you have to look at play designs I mean yes are there going to be things you agree and don't disagree with as we get a you know a little drop in there from friends um but at the end of the day like I'm that's not something I'm going to kill him about I mean it happens I think your wife's happy because the Steelers are winning yeah, I mean, we, we are definitely... Fiance, sorry, not wife yet. Yeah, fiance, yeah. She, she is a little bit happy. She was coming into this game with uh, very low morale, and I'm like, I don't think you're giving the Chargers... I think you're giving them too much credit. So, yeah, I believe it's 24 nothing at the end of the third quarter. So, Come on in. We're not a Steelers podcast. So, uh, um, But, yeah, it's a tough one to call. My view is... Um, the, and the other thing... 
Freddie was doing a little bit too much, I felt, was uh, arguing the refs quite a lot. And I just feel like, take a step back, let's move on, and let's get the next play call right. You know, I've seen that a little bit about, I think Jake Burns may even said that when he was getting a little bit passionate. And I will say, I'm a fiery person. I, I'm, many of my friends will probably be so shocked to hear that I was quite the shit talker on my field. And even in recreational kickball games or whatever it is I'm playing, softball games, baseball games, I always am having running dialogue with officials. I've never felt that that distracts me from doing what I'm doing. But one of the things that I noticed was I didn't think the communication and one of the things I heard on the, the broadcast was that this was a first year official that was running the game. And I think that that showed in the sense that the communication between the, the officials and both coaches, because there was times Pete Carroll was looking at him like, what is going on? And on the play where Jarvis scored, but the ball was fumbled and they couldn't, it just seemed like they were getting a lot of help from New York. So communication was pretty garbage. And I mean, we all saw some of the absolutely dreadful calls that were made. And listen, there's no doubt about it. Baker's going to get fined for saying it, but I think that's one where he feels as a leader of the team, he's got to come out and stick up for his guys because, you know, ultimately people are going to be like, oh, the Browns are leading the league in penalties. And you sit back and you're like, some of these, are, I, they're going to lead the league in more letters from the NFL saying, we're sorry for screwing that up than anyone. So I'm not going to kill kitchens for being fiery. I mean, that's what people liked about Greg Williams. And then they're like, well, Williams would have never done that. And it's like, well, are you kidding me? That guy was in an official's ear like a magnet. So I, I've watched Mike Tomlin does it. They all do that. I mean, and this is the one thing that I think a lot of people get confused about. How much do you think a head coach is actually doing himself on game day? Freddie's in the rare company where he's actually calling the plays. Freddie, when it comes to the defense, that's on Steve Wilkes. When it comes to special teams, that's on Mike Prefer. Yes, ultimately it rolls up to him, but the decision to challenge or not is not made by him. He's got a guy that tells him. All of those things are done by assistants that are giving him information. A head coach's job is to prepare the team from Monday to Saturday, and on Sunday, he's simply executing game plans. And all the people out there that are talking about firing Freddie, I'm sorry, is, is Freddie – tip drilling passes in the air is Freddie firing off target. I mean, the play, some of these play designs are spectacular. I mean, we see them other teams running them and executing them. Like why we can't, why can't we do that? We do. We just don't execute them. You know, we drop passes. I mean, Odell Beckham had another drop today that, you know, yes, it hit him in the hands. It's, Oh, it's a little bit behind. enough of the excuses. These are NFL players. If the ball hits your hands, catch it. Dontrell Hilliard, catch it. Don't turn and loft it in the air to KJ Wright. You know, I'm not putting that on kitchens. I mean, everybody always, Browns fans are just so conditioned to fire the coach, fire the coach. I mean, I think that the guy obviously has the trust of his players. I think he, from an offensive standpoint, puts together some decent game plans. I think the staff needs to do a better job at adjusting in game. But overall, I'm not ready to, you know, to burn Freddie at the, the stake like most people are. Yeah, I've obviously also received quite a lot of texts today of people just saying, let's get rid of Baker and or get rid of uh, Freddie and that was awful by Freddie and Baker, blah, blah, blah. But you got to remember the real basics. They are young professionals, both of them in their positions, and it's going to take time. 
Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we were, I was watching the first half of the Steelers game and I'm wondering what Anthony Lynn's doing on some of these. I mean, there's just times where the good, the good coaches who have been around long enough, the John Harbaugh's that read the Belichick's, they have so much experience. They've been through all of these situations. You know, we all forget about it because we have short term memory. You have to let coaches develop. I mean, you have to let these guys really just kind of learn on the fly. It's not always going to be pretty. They're going to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, you have guys like Odell Beckham. You have guys like Jarvis Landry. It's going to be on them to execute sometimes when the perfect play isn't called and, you know, make chicken shit or, you know, make chicken salad out of chicken shit. I mean, it's just one of those things where we just are always so quick to blame head coaches. And at the end of the day, I know we don't want to, you know, crush our favorite players, but hey, they've got to be better. Every one of them tells you that I got to be better. I got to do this. I got to do that. So at some point we just have to kind of lay off of the whole, you know, burning pitchforks and, you know, fire them and all this other stuff and just kind of remember these guys are learning. I think that, you know, we're going to win off some games in the back half and everyone's be like, Oh, they figured it out. So you're telling me that if the Browns win today, 28, 25, that everybody's saying the same things about Freddie as they do when they lost. I mean, it's just, it's natural reaction. Yeah. Well, we're two and four. We've got the uh, Patriots next. It's going to be tough. We've got the Bills afterwards. We've got Denver away. Sorry, Pats, Denver away, and then Bills. So we've got three hard games up, and there's no shine away from it. You know, we are Browns fans, and we've got to back our team. Absolutely. And you and I are cut on the same cloth with that. You know, I'm not, I'm not the guy that's just going to be the glass is always empty type of thing. You know, I just, I really like when I see out of this team sometimes. And, you know, I know that there are plenty of people jumping off the bandwagon. I mean, how my buddy Seth's texting me the game, like, Oh, we need to sit Baker. He's going to throw picks and fumbles. And it's like, I don't know. I can't live that miserable life as a fan. And I'm going to say it now. Everyone thinks we're just going to beat the Steelers, the Bengals, the Ravens again. They're going to be tough. The Dolphins, you know, be be surprised. I think we may lose one of them games and we may shock someone and beat the Bills, the the Pats or the Denver in the next three weeks as well. So the roller coaster ride is still gonna be going. It's not gonna be as simple as eight and eight, we're gonna lose to the Pats and the Bills and then win every other game. Oh, absolutely. And to be fair, I watched a little bit of the Ravens Bengals game and that team ain't a full of world beaters. I mean if anything, and we need a transition year to kind of learn this team. And so this team really kind of gets to know each other. It's a great year because I mean, listen, I respect the Steelers and their ability with Devlin Hodges to win games, but anybody who's watching this Sunday night game knows there was a backwards lateral defensive touchdown tip drill and it was 14, nothing. I mean, that's what good teams do sometimes is they help their young quarterbacks out. But the nice part about these next three games is, I mean, yes, it's Tom Brady, but I think we forget sometimes that Tom Brady is damn near 43 years old. You know, that offense isn't exactly humming on all cylinders. And then Denver and Buffalo are more defensive-friendly teams as well. So the next three games are going to be against teams that, you know, are a little bit more inferior on the offensive end. So I think it's going to give the defense the ability to kind of maybe find a little bit of an identity maybe start making an impact, but you know, Buffalo and Denver have good defenses. So it's going to be a really good test for our offense going up against good defenses. So I'll be curious to see, but 
you know, we just, we just need to get a little bit of rhythm. We need to get the positive energy back to the building. Cause I mean, we saw how, how fly or how high everyone was flying after that Ravens game. So we just got to get back to that. And, you know, I think having this, this loss is kind of that sour taste in their mouth for the next two weeks. It may help, may help increase the focus in the, uh, in the locker room this week. Um, this week versus the 49ers, we came very close. You talking about the Seahawks? Yeah. What were we? Um, four points off? Yeah, 32-28. Yeah. And then the, the 49ers are the ones that blew us out of the water. Yeah. All right, and where can people find the details? Ian19 on Twitter. If you disagree with me regarding Freddie Kitchens, please write him a letter. Tell him how much you don't like him. I'm sure he'll no. agree. Don't like poor, poor chap. Um, give Ian loads of abuse on Twitter. That's a better option. Absolutely. I'm a, pro, I'm a pro John Dorsey guy too. So all of the people that want John Dorsey marched out of town on the Lewis and Clark wagons, you can come at me too. A lot of, arm, a lot of armchair GMs and armchair quarterbacks and armchair coaches and armchair receivers and armchair running backs in Cleveland. Don't, don't take the bait there, Ian. Keep it calm. Uh, all right, my friend. Let's let these Browns fans get some sleep. We got, uh, luckily, a bye week to listen to more press conferences from questionable questions about why Baker doesn't run more and all this other fun stuff. So, mm. Well, tomorrow's a new day. Start of a new week. Looking forward to the Pats. And, uh, yeah, put this game behind us and move forward. I agree. Go Browns, man. Go Browns.